This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Every week in the lead up to November 3rd, we're going to be running special editions of The Leader, looking at the US election. Today's features the journalist Philip Collins talking to the Evening Standards editor-in-chief George Osborne. Remember to subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on our analysis, commentary and interviews ahead of this historic vote. We've got some really special guests being lined up. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is the Leader, US election special. Hello, I'm Phil Collins. I'm a columnist on the Evening Standard. And here to discuss with me the American election, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, everything that's relevant and that's coming down the track is none other than the editor-in-chief, George Osborne. George. Phil. One of the unwritten stories of this... Uh, American election so far, and perhaps because people are fearful of thinking it, is maybe, just maybe, the opinion polls are more right than wrong. Time to crunch the numbers. Joe Biden is up in the polls. For polls close. The commanding lead over President Trump. Perhaps Joe Biden really is 8, 9, 10, 11, perhaps even 12 points ahead. In one poll recently, he was 16 points ahead. That puts him in Ronald Reagan against Walter Mondale territory from... 84. Can that really be possible? Well, you're right, Phil, that everyone is fearful because last time the polls said Hillary Clinton was going to win and Donald Trump won. And, and that, that, because they were wrong then doesn't mean they are wrong now. And I think we have to understand that even back then they did predict that Hillary Clinton would get more votes, just not in the right places. The polls today are predicting that Joe Biden will get many more votes than Donald Trump and in the right places. And so you have to believe that the polling was deeply wrong uh, to suggest that Donald Trump's going to win this election. Obviously, the whole thing about elections is they're unpredictable and, you know, things can happen and change. So, you know, I'm not saying it's a done deal, but something pretty fundamental has to happen. Something huge has to happen, doesn't uh, it, to reverse Trump. You know, because Trump has gone into this election. Trump is fighting an election, obviously, which he never anticipated because, you know, he, he could well be the first political casualty of the pandemic. Because if you go back even nine months and look at the platform Trump was constructing for this election, it would have been, a, in a sense, a, a conventional Republican platform of, you know, he's had tax cuts, he had the stock market booming 30%, unemployment was at a record high. 
everything was looking set fair for him for a while, wasn't it? And then, and then this happened. No, it's quite, I mean, look, Trump is such an unconventional politician and doesn't play by the rules. But the normal rules of politics were applying at the beginning of this year, which was he's an American president coming in for re-election. And throughout my lifetime, the American presidents, broadly speaking, four out of five of them get re-elected. And they get re-elected when uh, the economy is doing well, uh, regardless of all the other issues. There's another rule of American politics, however, that if you're an American president fighting an election in a recession, you lose. And that's what happened to George H.W. Bush, George Sr. That's what happened to Jimmy Carter. And that's what's happening to Trump. So, you know, the COVID crisis, the economic impact of that, I guess also the health crisis, you know, the handling of that means that uh, Trump is really up, it, uh, really up against it. And you're completely right that he's going to be the first casualty. One of the interesting things about the global financial crash 10 years ago was that it basically wiped out every incumbent government, with the exception of Angela Merkel, who's the great survivor. <laughs> but every other government fell in the West uh, over the then next couple of years. And, and certainly for any incumbent government now, it's going to be very hard. Donald Trump's the first you know, up for re-election. And, and, and I think he would have won this election if it hadn't been for COVID, and I think he's probably going to lose it because of COVID. Yeah. Do you think there's anything he can do between now and the election to turn that around? Do you think that is possible in the short time spell? I mean, already, as we speak, I mean, more than 10 million Americans have already voted, which is an extraordinarily high number for this stage in a campaign. It looks as though turnout might be conceivably be very high. So do you think there's anything he can do to turn it around from the position he finds himself in? Well, I think it's hard. I mean, he's a very known character. It's gonna, he's not going to find it easy to persuade people that he's someone, something other than he is. Uh, we've, you know, we've got a presidential debate still. I mean, there's an irony here, which is that um, uh, by knocking out the sort of second debate, it's made the third debate more important, closer to the election day. I think there's, there is, it's also true to say that Joe Biden, you know, who I personally like and have a lot of time for, you know, has really been the not Trump candidate in this election, and he's been the very safe choice, and he's not going to frighten anyone. I guess it's possible you could imagine a situation where suddenly the American electorate take a view on him or discover something about him they don't like. But Joe Biden has been around for many, many decades. Mm. He was vice president. He's been a long-serving senator. So that also feels unlikely. You know, in the end, elections are unpredictable. It's one of the fascinating mm. things about politics. Why you and I mm. love it. Uh, so I'm not going to say it's dead cert that mm. Trump is not going to get re-elected and Biden will um, be the president, but it is increasingly looking like that. It, it's interesting. Let's talk a bit about Joe Biden, because I'm always intrigued that Trump seems to want to keep saying Joe Biden's 47 years in public service, as though this is somehow a bad thing, when it strikes me as Biden's only claim to to be the president. And, and this is very much is a strangely presidential election. And what I mean by that is that Usually, the two candidates are, as well as the uh, candidate to be commander-in-chief and president of the United States, are embodiments of a party and a program. And behind them, there is at least a little bit of a sense of competing visions for the country with policy platforms. And although, if you're a real nerd, you can go and find those things in this election, they're not actually part of the conversation particularly. And Biden really is just the not-Trump character. Do you have any sense of what a Biden presidency might be like? Do you, know, do you have any, any sense, really, of what a Democrat party actually wants? 
for years now, and all the contacts I have with the Democrat Party have been agonizing over the fact that they've never renewed. They don't know what they're for. Yeah. They don't really have a sense of what a Democrat administration would want to do. Well, they may be gifted one through the virtue of not being Donald Trump. Do you have any sense of what would be in for if that were the case? Well, I think you can look at some specifics. He actually is proposing, Joe Biden, a pretty radical uh, plan for dealing with climate change, uh, a Green Deal. I'd say that's the sort of central policy part of the platform. The impacts of climate change don't pick and choose. That's because it's not a partisan phenomenon. It's science. He's going to increase business taxes uh, and increase taxes on wealthy Americans. Uh, there will be some kind of extension of health care. Uh, now, those are all things, by the way, he requires a Democrat uh, Congress for. And one of the interesting things if we follow this election is, are the Democrats also going to win the Senate? If they don't, he's going to be very hamstrung in doing uh, all those things. So there is a platform there. I don't think he's going to be able to deliver the sort of lasting immigration reform that people would like. I think the whole issue of the you know, Black Lives Matter and the African-American experience in America is extremely hard to address in a way that everyone's going to be happy with. Barack Obama couldn't do that. Uh, I think, however, the real change that will happen if Joe Biden gets it is it's a return to mainstream politics. You know, that's the big picture. The big picture is, you know, Trump was seen as part of a move of, of sort of nationalist movements and populism four years ago. If Joe Biden, the, the Beltway candidate, the insider, becomes the president of the United States, it will be business as usual. It will be back to a much more predictable American president who picks up the phone to his allies. And, and that, for me, is what this contest is going to... And after it happens, and if Biden wins, we're going to feel that as the big change in global politics. Now, in one sense, obviously, that's true. Biden is a, a mainstream candidate in the way that Trump obviously isn't. And yet some of the trends that have happened in the Trump era go back before Trump. And Trump is their consequence rather than their cause, the economic movements that produced his presidency, but also some of the politics. So the last two sessions of Congress have been the most partisan on record in the history of the American Republic. And of course, American politics deliberately disperses powers between its different uh, functions. And the whole idea embodied in the Federalist Papers is there has to be cooperation across the aisles, otherwise things don't work. And for the last two Congresses, and it went before Trump, actually, the partisan nature of American politics has really become very embodied, very entrenched. Now, that's not going to change necessarily, is it, even with a with a Biden victory. Well, you, American politics now has uh, this pattern where you get these very small windows of two years at the beginning of a presidency when it tends to be the case that you get a new Republican president after years of a Democrat president, and they also have a Republican Congress, and they can do things. Trump passed major tax cuts at the beginning of his uh, presidency. Barack Obama did Obamacare and the stimulus at the beginning of his. Joe Biden, you know, as I say, is quite likely to have a Democrat Congress, and he will have two years before the Republicans win back either the House or the Senate uh, in the midterms to do things. Of course, you know, a bit like all of these presidents, they, they come in with their plan over here, but they've got the actual problem here, which is going to be COVID. And you know, I suspect the first thing they're going to do is a big stimulus package. 
Um, but you're right. Look, the politics remains very partisan. I would only suggest that, you know, Biden is quite a consensual candidate. It's perfectly possible to imagine that a more radical Democrat party, a more divided Democrat party, divided between its kind of urban millennials and its steel town kind of union card members, could have produced a more kind of, um, I don't mean exciting in a bad way, but a more kind of radical candidate, let's say, of the left. And it didn't, you know, they went for the safe choice. And that's the first time again in our lifetime, we've got a president who wouldn't be, you know, he's not a young Bill Clinton or a young Barack Obama, or if you can just about remember, young Jimmy Carter. You know, this is the first Democrat in my lifetime who's gonna be pretty elderly, well-known, not very, you know, exciting in that sense, um, but known to the world as well, so not a big surprise. Mm. Um, Let's contemplate the idea just for a moment that Trump does miraculously recover mm. from, um, not just from mm. his COVID um, spell, but from his political malaise, and, and he somehow mm. fashions a, a narrow victory again. What would a Trump presidency, second term mm. of a Trump presidency mean for America? And then in a moment, I want mm. to come on to what either presidency might mean for Britain. But what would Trump do domestically in a second yeah. term, do you think? Well, I don't. Think, I think it would be basically more of the same. Um, he's, he would not be able to pass anything through the Congress that would be firmly in Democrat hands. Um, and so, you know, the partisanship, the division of the, the uh, gridlocked government would continue. Um, I think he would, uh, you know, probably like all second term presidents, because he's actually, you know, like he's not as extraordinary as you'd like to think. He, <laughs> All second-term presidents turn a bit more to the international agenda. He'd start thinking about his legacy and his, you know, where, how setting mm. himself up for the future. This is what worries me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I guess, you know, I mean, the, I always think with Donald Trump, I first came across Donald Trump when I was a child, and I was very lucky. I was taken by my parents on a trip to New York and uh, as a teenager, and Donald Trump was in the lobby of the Plaza Hotel. And even then, he was, like, about the most famous person in the world. Mm. His whole life has been a validation of being the number one and, you know, uh, becoming president is a validation. Being re-elected will be a valid. It would just be like, you know, if you didn't like you know, Trump, you're going to get double Trump. You know, in um, Francis Fukuyama's The End of History, Donald Trump features in that book. Because <laughs> right. one thing Fukuyama's He also argued, features in Home Alone. <laughs> he does. Fukuyama <laughs> says that um, democracies, capitalist democracies, yeah. are able through allowing people to become immensely rich, to get megalomaniacs like Donald Trump to have enough recognition that they don't want to go into the public sphere. If only that were true. Well, you know, <laughs> like, like a lot of that book, there was a lot of good analysis, not necessarily <laughs> not, the right conclusion. Not all right, no. But, but the, uh, so I think you get more, you know, you just get more Trump. I think he would have felt, obviously, vindicated as anyone who gets re-elected does. Uh, I think he'd be more on the international stage. I think he'll try and broker peace with North Korea again. He'll throw himself into the Middle East, where, to be honest, he's actually done a bit better than people have given him credit for with this recent deal between Israel and the Gulf states. And, you know, I think you get more... Domestically, things will get more divided. There'll be more, you know, unfortunately, protest and division in the country. Um, so I think it's quite predictable what a second-term mm. Trump... What do you think the Republican Party will do if he does lose. Mm. Do, you, do you think that they will disavow these years and, and sort of turn away and say, oh, we pretend that never happened? 
Because the Republican Party's role in this has been very interesting. One, one of the purposes originally of political parties in the, in the Republic was expressly to be one of the guardrails of American democracy. And you know, in the 20s, Henry Ford, you know, in some ways a similar figure to Trump, incredibly famous yeah. uh, manufacturer and a sort of incipient tyrant, um, in his case a rabid anti-Semite as well, sought the Republican nomination and wasn't given house room by the elders of the mm. Republican Party. They regarded him as, as a preposterous figure. Um, no way. This, we are the guardians, as mm. they put, would have put it in their language, against the mob. Now, that's been historically the role that, that party mm. selections have played. And yet the Republican Party didn't see fit to, to do that with Donald Trump. They opened the door to him. How do you think they'd react if he were to lose? Well, I think the Republican Party will disavow him um, if he loses. He did, he did capture the, the Republican nomination in a coup. I mean, all the forces of the Republican Party, and indeed their main supporters in the press, such as Fox News, were against Trump getting the nomination. But he used his fame, he used this you know, populist movement he was able to create to basically knock out perfectly kind of centrist mainstream contenders like Jeb Bush and, and get the nomination. Um, and, and, and a system that had essentially prevented for many years um, the more kind of radical or sort of extreme elements of the Republican Party actually getting the leadership, because the Republican Party has offered pretty mainstream candidates for the presidency in recent years uh, until Trump, was flawed by this guy who was able to get so much press attention, didn't need any of the Republican machinery, uh, you know, had his good run for president off his Twitter account. Um, but I think if he'll be a kind of one-off phenomenon. I think he will go. He doesn't really have a movement behind him. He doesn't really have a successor. He does. You know, I think it's. It, you know, although I think Ivanka would like to think she may be, but <laughs> it, I think it will come and go quite quickly. Um, but who knows? I I suspect you know the one of the kind of general uh, challenges we have as you know both in journalism is. You know, the Trump story is just a lot more interesting mm. than the Biden story. Yeah. So even though Joe Biden is the favorite to be the president of the United States, you know, and get elected in just uh, you know, a short period of time, still overwhelmingly 90% of the story is about Trump. Yeah. And I think even if Biden is elected president, the fall of Trump and what happens to Trump next is going to, we're going to be, it's going to be we're going to be talking about Trump Absolutely. for many, many years. He's an ago. amazing character, you know, and, and to have a character in politics is an immense virtue. And everything he does, whether it's good or bad, whether you like it or not, is really Trump-like. That's an incredible skill to have. I mean, I, I follow his uh, public speaking a lot, right. and I analyze how he speaks, and I, I've made myself unpopular by saying how good he is. He's but not conventionally really, good, is, but he's really it's effective. It's gripping, isn't it? When, yes. you, when you're watching one of those uh, big speeches in the stadiums, and he's obviously d doing more of those now, uh, you know, they are just very compelling. I mean, there's something kind of fascinating, awful, brilliant, kind of intriguing. I mean, they're just... Yeah. Um, they have to be watched because if you look, if you ever read a transcript yeah. of them, and I'm, I may be one of the only people in the world who does, but I do, they don't make any sense at yeah. all because of all those repetitions and those sentences he doesn't complete. It, they just don't make sense. And I tested very positively in, a, in another sense. So negative. this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested... Uh, perfectly this morning. And yet they do make a kind of emotional sense when he says them. Well, they certainly people think they're him. 
they're authentic. There's no one's mm. written the speech or constructed the soundbite or you know it's that you know they do feel this is and that was yeah. look that from the start that has been his biggest asset that people think after an eight, a long period of politics which I was very much part of which was polished and organized and you had you know communication teams and sound bites and spin doctors all of that mm. the Clinton era the Obama era the Blair era the Cameron government I was part of yeah, all of that replaced by there's no spin here there's yeah. no the, you know there's no yeah. d disintermediation between you and there's no mediation between you and the candidate this is like the guy even yeah. today the, you know with his tweets you still feel the President of the United States is sitting there in bed at 5 a.m. Like, and, and then no one's telling him what to write. No. And, you know, they haven't polled it. They haven't focus grouped it. They haven't. And that's like, um, the, that's been, and lots of people have tried to replicate that and some more successful than others. But I don't think you'll again have this character of the sort of self-made business guy mm. capturing the presidency. Lots of people have tried. Yeah. The point about Trump, he was, he was about the most famous person in America before he ran for president, and certainly has become the most famous person in the world now. Let's end with a thought about what it mean, might mean for us in Britain. What do you think a, the transfer from a Trump to a Biden presidency might mean for relations between the United States mm. and Britain? Well, I think it, it will be quite a challenge for the UK government. Not in those, in, on a sort of big level, obviously, we're one of America's closest allies, relations will still be very strong there'll be a lot of cooperation uh, and you know joe biden will pick up the phone to boris johnson and i'm sure at some point visit here and and vice versa but you know boris johnson and the brexiteer crowd are very closely associated in the american public consciousness and in the democrat party's public consciousness with the trump movement mm -hmm. and of course they played up those links four years ago when trump won and trump himself said i'm mr brexit uh, so that's going to be a challenge for the leadership of the Conservative government. Um, I think it's going to have an impact on some very specific things like a trade deal with the US because already the Democrat speaker, Nancy Pelosi, is making it clear that you know a trade deal with the US is not a done deal. She's got some real issues. And if the Brexit negotiations lead to any kind of problems for Northern Ireland, that's going to be a block on the US trade deal. And then I think finally, and this is, you know, you would, you would know more about this than me, you know, there's always been in the past some pretty close links between the Labour Party and the Democrats. A lot of the Clinton people came to help yeah. New Labour. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden is extremely well known to people in Britain. He knows the Labour Party. And I think Keir Starmer will be given that precious thing that all yeah. opposition leaders want, which is the moment when you get to meet the president mm. and, you're, and, you're, and you're given a decent amount of time. Neil Kinnock didn't get it. David Cameron was given it by Barack Obama. It was an enormous, I remember I was mm. with, David's, you know, with David at the time. And the fact that Obama took us seriously in opposition meant that the, you know, Britain could see that the rest yeah, of the world were thought yeah. we were going to be the next government. Um, and I think Starmer you know, will have that visit to the Oval Office when, when we're all allowed to travel. Yes. Well, we look forward to that day. Um, let's hope that comes before the American election, which is coming upon us rapidly. I, I know, I mean, we find it fascinating. We could probably go on and on and on. I hope we've managed to convey some of that fascination, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to us rattle on about what I think is one of the, perhaps the most important 
And that's always said that it's the most important election of our lifetime. It may be true this time. It's certainly one of the most intriguing and fascinating. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.